This is the Benson Gregory Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please be sure to like, subscribe, and share. Your support means a lot. Now, here's your host. Hi, I am Benson Gregory. We have a very special uh, episode of the program today. There is going to be an informative and educational episode with uh, current events and things that we have going on. And for special episodes of the program, you need to have a special guest. And our special guest today is Richard Nelson. He is the founder and executive director of the Commonwealth Policy Center. Richard, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome, Benson. It's great to be on the program with you. Uh, what we're talking about, we have an election coming up uh, that is going to be on Tuesday the 8th here in Kentucky, and we have something kind of unusual, and that is we have two proposed constitutional amendments. Well, a lot of times people don't hear a ton about amendments and, and additional things that are going to be on the ballot. We know we're voting for individuals for office, but when there's something bigger like this going on, a lot of times we're not prepared for it, and we can walk into the booth and be surprised by what's waiting for us. And in one of these amendments in particular, there's almost double speak in it. There's some like double negatives. It gets kind of confusing. And I actually pulled up the ballot for Fayette County and had a look at it. And and the one amendment is exceptionally long. It literally runs the full length of the ballot and then comes back up into another column and runs down. It looks like a half the length of the ballot. So it is extraordinarily confusing. And then Constitutional Amendment number two is really short. It's like almost a sentence and a half or two sentences. Yeah, that's correct. And and Benson, you said something in the beginning that a lot of people aren't uh, aware that there are two amendments on the Kentucky ballot. Um, One of them in particular, Amendment one, has not been talked about a whole lot. Uh, and the language is confusing. It's confusing. Uh, it, it is it is <laughs> difficult for somebody to go into a into the voting booth and to say, "Huh, I'm going to read through this and understand it." And really, that that's not the case. You're going to see people look at that and they're going to say, "I've never heard of it," and therefore they're not going to vote for it, or they're going to vote no because when people are in doubt, they will uh, vote against something. And as you said earlier, uh, when it comes to amending the Constitution, we need to be careful. We don't want to mess up a good thing, if you will. The work that our forebears put into the state Constitution uh, was arduous. They were thoughtful. They were deliberative. Um, it is a it is Kentucky's founding political document. It is that governing document that speaks to principles of our rights, our freedoms, um, and these kind of things. And whenever you um, change it, you better be careful uh, in changing it. So I guess it's it's important to let the listeners know why Amendment 1 is on the ballot in the first place. And really, it was a response by the Kentucky General Assembly to Governor Steve Bashir's overreach during the COVID shutdowns. We were uh, in a state of emergency for quite a while, and the legislature was shut out of the process. Many legislators wanted to meet with him. Many wanted to have input on policy decisions. But Governor Bashir, unfortunately, chose not to meet with them. And that state of emergency continued on for an extended period of time. In response to that, the legislature put forth this amendment that simply allows the General Assembly to call itself into session if there, if the situation arises where they need to have input on uh, important public policies. Which is interesting so, uh, because during 2020, uh, this is something that I did not realize 
was not a possibility in Kentucky was we we had a declared state of emergency uh, with COVID, with the COVID pandemic, with the response to it. We all remember probably too clearly the events and the things that were going on. And of course, our our whole system of government is based on checks and balances. And I did not realize and it became very apparent at the time that the General Assembly was, you know, whether you call them check or balance, they, they were not available. They 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 literally had no voice. They literally could not pull up a seat at the table. So it was exclusively the executive branch that was running everything. And and they had no balance to that. So this it was like you said, in response to that so that they can call themselves back into session. Absolutely. And it was frustrating for legislators that were hearing from the business community back in their districts or hearing from medical professionals or from people in the teaching community where they had good ideas, they had um, some input that they wanted to share, but they couldn't share it because legislators were really kept out of the process. In fact, Governor Bashir, and this is not to beat up on Governor Bashir, but he chose not to meet with legislative leaders. He continued on with what he thought was best. And the response was the legislature said, let's have the ability to call ourselves into session. Again, if there's a crisis or if there's a state of emergency where we think we can provide a legislative solution. Now, it's not unlimited, Benson. Uh, They can only call themselves into session for up to 12 days in a year. Uh, for and it and it has to be a very good reason, uh, and and really it was the COVID shutdown that necessitated this. So Amendment One seems to be born uh, out of necessity, out of a real situation that impacted the legislature's ability to govern and to have some input in a in an important time. So. This is an issue that's before the voters. Um, They're going to have a chance to weigh in on it, whether or not they think it's a good idea to allow the legislature to call itself into session. By the way, most states, uh, my understanding is most states do have this ability to call themselves into session. Kentucky's not one. I think we're one of 12 states that the governor has the exclusive authority to call the legislature into session. So um, this, again, is before the voters. Early voting starts on November the 3rd, and then Election Day is on November the 8th. That is an unusual situation, I think, where you have, and and maybe just not some great forethought in putting the Constitution together, where you have a branch that's almost subservient to another branch, because I, I couldn't imagine an, an issue where, you know, the executive branch couldn't be called into action until the Supreme Court decided that it was OK for the yeah. governor to act. You know, that's a that's a, a good point, because uh, in Kentucky, the governor does have unusual power compared to governors in other states. And part of that power is his ability to call the legislature into session. Um, if you think about it, the legislative body, which these are our lawmakers, this is where we get law and policy from. Uh, it seems to me that you would want them to be able to call themselves into session. After all, they're representative of the people. You ha- we have 100 state representatives in the Commonwealth of Kentucky in our legislature, and we have 38 senators. And when you have that many people that have input or some say into a session, I think that reflects that the people, they're more responsive to the people, first of all, but as opposed to just one person, that being the governor, 
discipline or having the power to call uh, the legislative body into session or not. It seems to be a more democratic, I guess that's the word I'm looking for, Benson. Mm -hmm. It's a more democratic and responsive policy to allow the legislature to, uh, in fact, call itself into session. Well, I think a, a larger group of people working to solve a problem, especially if they're you know people that are qualified to be at the table, um, the better results you're probably going to have in the long run. At least that's the hope. Yeah. Uh, well, it is. You know, when you know, of course, that's if I could just add one thing. And the, the legislature is where they deliberate um, a topic. They debate. They deliberate. They consider input. And I think we're going to get better policies when the legislature is involved, when they have committee meetings, when they invite the public to testify, will have a much better public policy in the end than it, than just the governor um, telling us what he thinks should be done. So that's Amendment 1. Again, it's on the ballot. Uh, this uh, November the 3rd is when early voting begins and November the 8th is Election Day. So K- Kentuckians will have an opportunity to uh, to vote up or down on Amendment 1. And that's a very lengthy amendment. Again, it begins with repeal and, and then it gets very confusing, in my opinion, as you read through it. But the boiled down version is if you you want the legislature to be able to call themselves back into session during emergencies, you want to vote yes. If you do not want to allow that, then you would vote no on amendment number one. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. All right. Uh, that moves us on to constitutional amendment number two, which is very short, direct and to the point. And this one deals with, uh, I guess, fallout from the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court's decision on Roe versus Wade being reversed. Yeah, so Amendment 2 is called the, uh, it's a pro-life amendment. It says this, to protect human life, nothing in this Constitution shall be construed to secure or protect a right to abortion or require the funding of abortion. This is uh, the Human Life Protection Act. It was passed in 20, uh, 2020 with the goal of simply saying that judges do not have a right to invent a right to abortion in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. It also says that tax dollars in Kentucky should not be used for abortion. Uh, It just so happened that uh, the U.S. Supreme Court in the Dobbs ruling handed abortion policy back to the states. A lot of people, Vincent, think that the Dobbs ruling back in uh, the summer uh, banned abortion in the country. It did not. It simply undid Roe v. Wade and said the federal government should not be involved with abortion policy. They, so they handed it back to the states. And it was very timely that the Commonwealth uh, put this amendment on the ballot last year. They, they The legislature passed it uh, last legislative session, 2021. We had no idea that the Supreme Court would overturn Roe v. Wade and hand this back to us, but here we are. And the question uh, before voters is not on any specific abortion policy. This does not ban abortion. It does not deal with any of the exceptions, Uh, but it simply says that abortion, if you vote yes on Amendment 2, you're simply saying that abortion is not a protected right in the Kentucky Constitution, which the Kentucky Constitution does not mention abortion, doesn't refer to it. It is not enumerated as a right. Uh, But the reason why this is so important is to keep state level judges from inventing a right to abortion and really imposing a state level Roe v. Wade on the rest of us. And I think none of us, no matter what your politics are, whether you're pro-life, pro-abortion, nobody wants to have another 49 years of abortion battles. And if we do not pass this amendment, I'm afraid that's where we are leading 
that we will have contentious court battles. The, the abortion legislation will continue to come up in the legislature. You have judges that will strike down some of it, might let some of it go. But that's something that none of us want to see happen. We'd rather see people hold uh, their right to and have their input on the public policy process through their legislators. And that's what Amendment 2 preserves. It's the right of the people to voice their opinion and to shape uh, policies through their elected officials instead of unelected judges. And I've seen on social media a lot of people saying that this will basically outlaw miscarriages. It'll outlaw uh, you know, medical procedures uh, for life saving and things like that. And that is not true. Correct. That that is not no, at all what this is doing. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Uh, this amendment does not deal with any procedure. Um, th- there's a massive scare campaign taking place right now across the Commonwealth. There's a group called Protect Kentucky Access. They have an out-of-state campaign manager. They're funded by out-of-state money. In fact, they've raised just under $9 million to defeat this measure. And they're trying to confuse and scare Kentuckians on a policy that Kentuckians should be voting on, not out-of-state interests funded by out-of-state money. Um, But this, first of all, Benson, to your point, uh, the current Kentucky law does not restrict women from getting the health care and the medical care that they need if they have an ectopic pregnancy, if they have a miscarriage, or if there's a life-threatening pregnancy. Kentucky law protects a woman's right to the medical care she needs to preserve her health. Passing this amendment does nothing to change that. So we need to cut through it right now and just say that the the, the scaremongering that's taking place by Protect Kentucky Access, that needs to stop. And that's unfortunate because many people are believing that rhetoric and they're falling for the misinformation. And uh, we're we're hoping that the truth will come out and that Kentuckians will um, understand what this amendment does. And again, this one is in very plain language. It's very short. It's very easy to read. And you should know immediately whether you're a yes vote or a no vote on that one. Absolutely. Again, I'm going to reiterate this because I don't think we're hearing this enough. It's simply 25 words and it says to protect human life. Nothing in this Constitution shall be construed to secure or protect a right to abortion or require the funding of abortion. There's nothing in there that would restrict a specific abortion policy, nothing that would prevent a woman from getting the medical attention she needs to uh, to preserve her health, her life. Um, it simply says, judges, you stay in your lane. We don't try to invent a right to abortion. If there's a case that comes before you, don't say that the Constitution says there's a right to abortion because it doesn't. And it also says that there should not be tax dollars used for abortion. Benson, one of the things that we're hearing from people is that, well, you can't use tax dollars for abortion anyway in the Commonwealth. Well, that's true, but to put it in the Constitution like this would prevent a judge from finding a constitutional right to tax-funded abortion. And the reason why this is necessary is because we've seen it in other states. Other courts and other judges uh, have a tendency to take on the role of policymaker. When it comes to important decisions like this, they often uh, impose their personal political preferences and they find rights in the Constitution, even if the Constitution doesn't specifically address uh, the issue at hand. 
All right. Well, Richard, I appreciate you coming on and uh, explaining both of the proposed amendments to us and uh, kind of clearing up some of that legalese and cutting through some of the uh, extra noise that's there surrounding that and helping us understand that. Uh, tell us a little bit about how to uh, reach the uh, Commonwealth Policy Center if people would like some more information on your organization. Yeah, certainly. They can find us on the web at commonwealthpolicycenter.org. It's just the name of our group with a .org at the end. And they'll find more information about Yes for Life Amendment 2. There are some um, fact sheets. There are some uh, endorsements and other resources there as well. There's resources for churches also on uh, our website. And they can also find us on Facebook. We're on Facebook and Twitter where we have regular updates on both of those uh, social media sites. Uh, just look at Commonwealth Policy Center on Facebook and on Twitter. It's actually the CP, the uh, Twitter handle is CPC4 Kentucky. That's the number four, CPC4 Kentucky. So check us out there. And uh, we've also, one, one other thing, we've got information about the elections. Uh, candidates running for state house, state senate, and the judicial races. You can find that information on the Commonwealth Policy Center website, front and center at the top of the page. Just go to commonwealthpolicycenter.org. All right, Richard. Well, Richard Nelson is the executive director and the founder of the Commonwealth Policy Center, and he's been our guest today. Richard, thanks again for coming in and joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me, Benson. This is the Benson Gregory Podcast. Your support means a lot. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share. Thank you for listening.